The last time I was with you, and the previous time, we began a small series from the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is a book of transition. So many changes are taking place. I think it's very appropriate that in our society and even within the church, so many changes are taking place. And it's good to look at the principles by which God works in these areas. So first of all, we see the transition for Israel. They were transitioning from the wilderness to the promised land. Last time I was with you, we got them across the Jordan and they are in the promised land. Prior to that, we saw how there was a transition between Moses to Joshua in their respective ministries. Joshua, pardon me, Moses died. Joshua took over and became the leader. God made promises to him. So in the first one, we saw the transition from Moses to Joshua and how God promised to be with Joshua as he was with Moses. Secondly, we saw how the children of Israel crossed the Jordan. The Jordan was in flood. And there was, God said to Joshua, today I will exalt you in the eyes of the people. And as the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the River Jordan, the waters backed up and the people crossed on dry land. So that tremendous promise given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that promise that there would be a land for them and was now promised. They were there. They had their feet on the promised land. The only problem was the promised land was occupied. It wasn't an empty piece of ground. The um, Canaanites, for one, were there. There was a big city of Jericho before them. So just as they thought, well, we've arrived. God has blessed us. We're in the promised land. They still had to take the land from, well, the enemy. They had to take the land from the tribes that were living in the land to make it their own. And the first challenge they faced when they crossed the Jordan was the challenge of Jericho. Now, in each of our lives, we will face challenges, be in no doubt about it. If you've not faced a challenge in your Christian life, this isn't a negative confession, so don't bother emailing me. Let me tell you, there's one on the way. Sooner or later, somewhere, God will ask you to put your faith in him as you go through a trial. God had said to Joshua, everywhere your foot goes will be yours. And he gave out the, the dimensions of the land that was going to be theirs. But they had to go in and take the land. Now, Jericho was unusual for them for this reason. It was the first walled city they had come up against. Now, news of what had happened in Egypt and news about them crossing the Jordan had reached Jericho. Scripture tells us that Jericho was locked up. They had decided to take a siege mentality. So here we have a people who were now to conquer the land that God had promised them, and their first obstacle, their first challenge was a walled city. But a couple of things happened before the miracle of them taking Jericho, and we can't bypass them. I want to move straight on and get these walls flattened as soon as possible. Everything in the preacher wants to get to that bit. But it wouldn't be fair to Scripture to say that other things had to take place. So, for example, after the children of Israel had crossed the Jordan, God told Joshua to choose 10 men, 12 men, pardon me, 12 men, each from each of the tribes, representing the tribes. They each had to take a stone and they had to build a monument a monument, and they had to place it in the Jordan at the very spot 
where the children of Israel, where the priests, pardon me, stood with the ark. God wanted them to remember this tremendous miracle. There were chosen men, they were representative men, and they had to take these 12 large stones and put them together in the river, and it was to be a sign. And then it says in verse 22, 24 of Joshua 4, that you were to tell the children what these stones represented. God wants us to remember. We've had testimonies from the Zoom room. We could have had testimonies from within this room if we'd wanted to of what God has done. This was a testimony. People would look and say, what? who builds, put stones in the middle of a river? Well, people say, well, that is to remind us of the tremendous miracle that God wrought. Also, those stones were to speak of evangelism. It says, all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful so that they might um, always fear the Lord our God. So even in the remembering of what God had done for them, these stones were evangelistic. Something else had to take place. I won't spend so long on this, but uh, the male men who were crossed over the Jordan, they had to be circumcised before they went further. Now you'll be glad to know that I'm not going to go into many details, but circumcision was a sign of a covenant. The people who had left Egypt had all been, the men had all been circumcised, but they died in the wilderness apart from Caleb and Joshua. But the rest of the men, for some reason, and time won't allow me to go into the different theories of why circumcision had not taken place, but Joshua and God said to Joshua, these men have got to be, before we can go any further, I want a memorial built to what I have done in this place and the nation have to be reminded of a covenant that was made with Abraham that was sealed through the ritual of circumcision. So there was something natural in the stones and there was something physical in this, but they both spoke of spiritualness. There had to be preparation. If they were going to take the land, they had to realize that they were in covenant with God. That's what circumcision was about. If they were going to take the land, they had to remember that God is the one who provides the victory. And the stones were a memorial to what God had done. All the priests had done is stand in the river. It was God that backed up the waters. All that Joshua did was tell the people to get a move on. At the end of the day, God did it all. And so those two important things are there. So what's, you say, well, what's the point of that, Gordon? Well, the point of that is this. Please, if you're going to make progress in your Christian life, you've got to remember what God has already done for you. That's what the stones are. And you have to remember a covenant, not a covenant with Abraham, sealed with circumcision, or a covenant with Noah, sealed with the rainbow. You have to remember a covenant that was sealed in the communion of Jesus' death for us. So you can take a Jericho, you can go forward, as you remember what God has done and you remember this new covenant that we're in through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ whose body was broken for us and his blood was shed. I needed to take those moments because they were a foundation. Speaking to someone uh, this week, um, he spoke about an organization called Foundations Matter. And you know they do, they do. It's, we rush ahead of ourselves sometimes to the great miracles of the Bible without understanding what took place before. No miracle is isolated in itself. There's always a reason and a purpose and an end. 
And Jericho was going to be a tremendous miracle. And it was going to be God's doing. So we have the monument to remember what God has done. We have circumcision to remember the covenant. For us, we have the bread and we have the wine. But we find that um, in the end of chapter 5, in verse 13, Moses, Joshua has a personal encounter. A very and amazing encounter took place. If you have your Bibles, it's in verse 13 of Joshua 5. Now, Joshua was near Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, Joshua needed not only an, an encounter for the nation, he needed an encounter for himself. It's great to hear what God is doing within the church, within the testimonies, even in this room. God is not on furlough. Do you know that? We're not, we've not said to God, have a few months off. He's serving, he's ministering, he's caring for us, just as he's always done. But Joshua was going to move forward now into something new. He was going to face the first real challenge of his leadership and his ministry. And that will happen to us in our Christian lives. We will face these challenges. And before he ever gets to the walls of Jericho, God meets with him in a very special way. First of all, it's quite obvious that Joshua had gone out and he was surveying the area. He was reconnoitering what was happening. He may have been looking for different ways of which maybe the, 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 build, the, the walls could collapse or he could take the city. They didn't have any siege weapons. This wasn't like the Roman Empire. There was nothing. They, they didn't have that. They weren't equipped for this. This is the first walled city they'd come against. So there had to be another way. And maybe he went out to have a look around to see how this city could be taken. And then he meets with someone. It says there, a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him. Well, I think that's good faith because if I met somebody on the way home tonight with a drawn sword, I might not go up to them. But Joshua went up to them. He wasn't frightened. He wasn't scared. He went up to them. No problem. And he said to him, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, that was a very simple question. Are you for the Canaanites or are you for the Israelites? Are you with our army or are you with that army? Now, we'll just say for the moment, this was an angelic creature who had appeared from God. I'll explain, I don't, I'll explain that's not what I believe, but you have to make your mind up. And the answer comes back, very strange answer. Now, please, if this is the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword outside Jericho, and I ask the angel, are you, on, are you with us or them? I'm expecting God who had promised never to leave me nor forsake me, God who had promised that we would be victorious, God that promised so much and promised us a land, I'm expecting this angelic creature to turn around and say, I'm with you, lads. But he doesn't. 
And the reason being, I don't believe that this was an angel. I believe this was a pre-incarnation, a Christophany, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please, the reason I'll try and prove my point in just a moment. And what a thing. God had just said, I'm going to be with you. And then he turns around. He says, are you with us or them? And the Lord turns around and says, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. But before that, he'd said, neither. What a strange answer. I'd have been very disappointed. I said, excuse me, you've just asked me to lead this people to conquer this land, and now you're telling me, with your drawn sword, the commander of the Lord's army, that you're not on my side. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's one of the strangest replies. But he says, no, I've come as the commander of the Lord's army. Um, army um, and Joshua fell down you see the lesson that we need to learn is this God is not on my side and God is not on your side God is on his own side God is God he is sovereign he is on his own side how often have we said oh God can't be with me because they're getting blessed how immature that is how immature to imagine that God's commitment to me will be determined by how other people get blessed or I don't. Let me tell you now, Job, Job said, if he slays me, I will still serve him. You know, that's where we need to be. And so straight away, Joshua learned the lesson that God is not on his side and he's not on his side, that we get on God's side, God doesn't get on our side. And when that truth hits you, it's so liberating. I'm not going around and saying, oh, God, are you on my side? Uh, uh, you know, Pastor Gordon, Pastor Scott, Pastor Colin, you know. Well, we don't, we don't have any of that malarkey at all. God is, not, God is with us all as long as we're serving him and walking with him. If I backslide, is God going to be with me? Of course he's not. If someone backslides, God's not there. So God has decided he's for himself. So Joshua had to align himself with God's purposes and God's will. So at the end of the day, when the walls of Jericho fell, who gets the applause? Joshua or God? God in that way. Now we see how remarkable this event is for Joshua. Joshua had lived in the shadow of Moses for so many years. And now something remarkable happens. When the, when the Lord says, neither, as the commander of the Lord's army I have now come, then Jeshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence and asked him. We have occasions in Scripture when angelic creatures arrived, the human beings wanted to worship and the angels stopped them. Said, no, no, stop. We're just servants of the Lord. But on this occasion, that didn't happen. And then what more comes, makes me realize this was not just an angel. They said, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander, he says, what Lord? He described, Joshua knew who this was. Joshua knew this was God. Just as Abraham had encountered God, just as Jacob, etc., etc., right through as Moses had encountered him. What was happening here was this. Joshua, I believe, was having his own burning bush experience. We know how Moses is in the backside of the desert and a bush was on fire and God spoke out of the bush 
And what was it that God said to Moses he had to do? He said, take off your shoes, Moses, for the ground on which you stand is holy. In other words, he was teaching Moses the holiness of God is something to be reverenced. And Moses took off his shoes. The same command came to Joshua at this time. He says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And so the words that he had heard Moses speak about, that great encounter Moses had before he was sent into Egypt to confront Pharaoh and all the demonic gods of Pharaoh, and that's gods with a small g. In fact, forget gods, all the demonic of Egypt. He had now the same assurance. In his heart, he had the words that were spoken to Moses ringing. Joshua, I remember the time when God called me. I was looking after sheep. This bush was on fire. Next thing I know, God speaks to me. What did he say? He said, take off your shoes. First thing we have to learn is the holiness and the reverence for God. Not cowering down, oh dear, oh dear. No, we can boldly come into his presence because of the new covenant that we celebrate. And he's there and he has those words. What would you want me to do? He says, first of all, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. Joshua, I want you to know, I said to you before, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. And here was the proof of it. And so in this little encounter, we learn a couple important things. God is for us. Yes, we are his children, but he's not on our side. He's on his own side. We align ourselves with his purposes. He doesn't align himself with our purposes. And before we can do anything for God, whether in our personal lives or in a ministry, we have to learn that God is holy. And for Moses and for Joshua, they had to take off their shoes. We don't ask you to take your shoes off when you come into church. Um, there are several reasons for that, but I won't go into them now. You know, it's of no spiritual significance now. So oh, God once told me in prayer to take off my shoes. I'm not here to prove a point. If he did, great. I hope you took them off and did as you were told. But see, this isn't an ordinance. But what we have to remember is this, that the Lord Jesus is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. His word is precious to us. We have to realize that certain things are set apart. And Joshua was set apart from God to do this. And with those words ringing in his ear, I'm not on your side, I'm on my own side, with the words ringing in his ear of the echo from the burning bush to him, God then begins to talk to him about how he was going to get the walls of Jericho to collapse. Verse 2, it says there, now verse 1 of chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in or out, pardon me, no one went out and no one came in. So they were in a siege mentality here. It tells us that Israel crossed the Jordan opposite Jericho. The people in Jericho, the Canaanites, had seen what had happened. Um, the Canaanites had already been cursed by God back in Exodus 24, I believe. So this was no new surprise what was going to happen. It was, it, God was just fulfilling a judgment that he had put upon them. But they came and um, 
upon this. And pardon me, let me just get my specs. And so they decided, well, we've seen the Jordan back up away and then cross over and dry ground. We know God is with them. You know, we better not go out and fight them. Let's lock up the doors, close the windows. And as they weren't Christians, they said, keep your fingers crossed, everything's going to be all right. Well, God had to do something to bring this down. Now, in the natural, it's build ramps, starve them out. There's certain ways that you took a city that was under siege. But it begins in verse 2, not with a strategy, but with a promise. See, when you face a Jericho in your life, what you need is to remember the promises of God and to apply them correctly. It says there, um, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. There we are. Done. That's it. It sounds almost nonchalant. You know, uh, by the way, uh, I've, Jericho's delivered into your hands, Joshua. I've already decided these walls are going to fall and the army and the king, you're going to take them captive and there's going to be a tremendous judgment upon this city. And that was it. No strategy, no move your army to the left, move your army to the right, get your paratroopers. Well, they had no paratroopers, you know, but no, none of that. It was a simple statement from God. The God who promised the land was going to assist them in the conquest of the land. And it was very simple. See, I have delivered Jericho. And Joshua looked up and said, but you haven't. It's, it's, it's still there. The walls are still there. And sometimes, friends, in our experiences, we have to believe God. When he says the problem is dealt with and we, it's still there, we have to believe God. Now, this isn't blind faith. You've got to hear from God real. Okay, now, this isn't just, um, I hope God said it. We've got to hear from him. And God said, look, Joshua, this battle is as good as one. Do you know the worst thing I think that can happen to anybody is that we die? And do you know God solved that problem because we're going to rise again? in resurrection. So whatever happens, we, we can't lose out. Whether I, Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. We're secure in him. And Jericho, see, I have delivered Jericho in your hand. And then he gave them the strategy for winning. Very simply, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the priests carry the uh, carry trump, have seven priests carry trumpets, horns in front of the ark, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of the long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout and the walls of the city will collapse and the people will go in, every man straight in. That's the strategy. Now, I'm going to have a drink of water. Thank you. We well, are glad you didn't spray it. Very simple. It's Ill, it doesn't make sense. What I want you to do is I'm going to get the soldiers, some soldiers to walk in front. And then we're going to have the ark. And then we're going to have some more soldiers. Then we're going to have trumpeters. And then we're going to march around once on uh, Monday. March once round on Tuesday. March once round on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, Sunday, sorry, sorry. I want you to start on Sunday. It's this Jewish Sabbath, isn't it? You start walking around on Sunday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Ready for 
the Sabbath day. And on the seventh day, things were to be different. That the people were to give a shout. Now, please, I don't know about you, but I've, I've shouted at some walls in my time and they've not moved. I've shouted at some people in my time and they've not moved. Well, not, not straight away in that way. This seems ridiculous. That, that a shout of people marching round once, twice. You know, people must have thought, well, why can't we do it twice? This is a bit repetitive. This is a bit odd. What was, what was God trying to teach in marching round seven days on the seventh day, seven times? The first thing I think God was trying to teach him is this. If you want God to work in your life, you've got to do what he tells you. It's called obedience. So if you want God to bless you and you haven't forgiven someone, I think you need to forgive them because that's what you've been told to do. That's marching around once. Maybe you've stopped reading your Bible, marching around twice. Maybe you've stopped praying, marching. I could make a list. I'm trying to think of seven things and I can't um, in that way. And so Israel and Joshua had to learn, no matter how silly it may seem, or how ridiculous, if God has told you to do it, then the end result is that the promises of God will be fulfilled. This is the danger we face, whether we actually hear from God or not. I pastored a church in a small town, I won't mention the town, and someone connected to our church went in and ordered a new vehicle, okay? They said God had told them to order this new vehicle. Let's call it a minibus. They were going to use it for the Lord's work. God had told them to do it. Anyway, the local garage, and I had a vehicle from them. I knew the people. They, the chap said, yes, I'd like to order this. He ordered the vehicle, and when he came to it, he had no money to pay for it. And he said to them, you know, God told me that he was, I had to do this in faith. And the garage were very kind. They said, well, when he gives you the money, we'll give you the vehicle. And I don't criticize them for that. It wasn't their faith, was it? And I'm sorry to say this. This in this small town where I was, everyone knew about this story. And the church did not look good. Now, I'm not bothered with the church. I want the church to look well. But I'm not going to sack. I mean, there's some things are non. And it was just sad that this man got confused as to, I could say his, well, could I say his name? I think I could. My memory further back's good, as you know, when you get my age. Um, I know the story. I can tell you the name. I can certainly tell you the name of the garage. And we became, we were ridiculed as a church. Oh, you know, down at the Elam Church, you know, they, you know God tells them again, they ordered, did you know at the garage, they ordered a new vehicle in and the chap never had any money and he said God was going to give it and God didn't. No, as the pastor of that church, I certainly wasn't going to pay for this vehicle because I was working as the pastor of the church and working three nights a week in a secular youth club to try and keep myself afloat. The church had no spare money. I was repairing the gutters. I was doing all the handiwork around the church because they had no money. There's no way we were going to go into debt to bail this man out, let me tell you. Now, some of you might think, oh, you're not very spiritual. Well, let me tell you, I'm not. We have to be very careful when we do extraordinary things. 
And the deal was this. You imagine what would have happened if Joshua had not heard from God and they'd marched round and round and nothing had happened. But because he had heard from God, because he had taken his shoes off, because the people had been circumcised, because the people had sanctified themselves and the people did as they were told, when I tell you to shout, shout. They shouted and the walls collapsed. Now, lots of people have come up with different ideas about what this was. People try and get rid of the miracles in the Bible. They'd like to get rid of all the miracles in the Bible. Well, you get rid of the miracles in the Bible and you get rid of God. God is there. I don't know what the miracle was. Was it the vibration of the sound? Of course not. Had they discovered dynamite before the Chinese? Uh, I don't think so. The book of Hebrews tells us why the walls fell down. It was an act of obedience. Of course it was. It was what Joshua did as he was told. The people did as Joshua told him. But it tells us in Hebrews um, there, it says there, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. So it wasn't because they shouted extra loud. It wasn't because the marching around had weakened the foundations. All those ideas, I'm not poo-pooing them. I just, I don't need to know what happened. All I need to know is, here we have a man called Joshua who had faith to believe God, a people who had faith to march around, carrying the ark, portraying the presence of God with soldiers and the people, and they put their trust in God. You imagine if nothing had happened, the people in the town would have mocked them and laughed them, and the name of God would have been just besmirched with the nations. But by faith, they had faith in God. And when you face a Jericho, when you're trying to make progress in your Christian life and you come up against a Jericho and you look up at it and you think, how on earth is this thing ever going to move? How is this thing ever? Let me tell you now, you start having faith in God. Not faith in faith. That gets you nowhere. Faith in God. You remember Joshua who met with God and he took his shoes off because God is holy. You remember Joshua who did as the scriptures has said. And at the end of the day, you keep serving God, keep praying, keep doing all your devotions and stand back and see what God will do. There's lots of, you know, this mountain shall be made flat. Lots of scriptures that speak about where faith can come to the rescue and bring about deliverance and help and so we find there that is what happened with the city um, um, moving on to verse 24 we just come to the end I'm almost finished you've listened ever so well the folk at home it's often harder to listen for a longer period on a screen so thank you for your patience it says when they entered they burned the whole city everything in it they put the silver and gold and the article of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. That's another story, but I didn't have time to go into that. And her family. And Joshua pronounced a solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild the city of Jericho at the cost of his firstborn son. And he who lays its foundation at the cost of his eldest, he will set up, who will set up its gates. And so Joshua, after this city had fallen, 
And the whole inhabitants, friends, let me tell you now, I can't get away from this, the whole inhabitants were put to the sword. Put to the sword. You see, these people were going to judge by God, the Canaanites, and I can't go into some of their practices because I, I don't know who might be listening at home. They were a very, very bad people. Very bad, the Canaanites. Their worship, their idolatry involved all sorts of things, and I will not even mention them. The judgment of God came upon them. I think I mentioned this before. Someone has said, why were the Canaanites marked out? What about all the other nations? Well, God will get round to them as well in time. All the nations will be judged. Scripture tells us that in the Revelation. It's coming. The Canaanites had their judgment on this day because they closed the gates of Jericho. They thought that their walls and their doors and gates could keep God's purposes being fulfilled and it collapsed and they were there. And Joshua said, anybody who rebuilds Jericho will be cursed. And this is your homework. Do we not read about a Jericho in the New Testament? So did someone rebuild Jericho even though that Joshua had pronounced the curse? Do some homework and find out. I could give you the answer now, but I know you're absolutely excited at the thought of researching that. Let's recap. Friends, if you face a Jericho, then make sure your shoes are off, that God is God, and give him all the glory and all the praise when the Jericho vanishes. Remember that you are people of covenant, not a covenant of circumcision, but a covenant this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. We're in that covenant. We don't deserve it. We're in it. And remember this, that as God was with Moses, he is with Joshua. And as God was with Joshua, hear this please, God is with you. Not just the pastors, he's with you. God's commitment to us is no more than his commitment to you. We're all children of God.